thank all you for joining us wherever you're at in the world tonight. We're going to get back into Hosea and uh, dig around in here. And I've got to take you a few other places because I want to show you what God's attempt is to do with uh, Hosea. Now, Hosea is the only northern prophet that wrote something. All the other prophets were from the southern kingdom. So he's a pretty special guy. When you think about God used him to give his word out, and he's the only prophet from the north that actually wrote something down. Uh, so the north was pretty bad. They didn't have very many people who were really had a heart after God. They got wiped out first, and then Judah got in trouble later, which is the southern, southern part of Israel, the northern tribes, which was most of the tribes, and Judah, the Levites to a degree, and Benjamin down in the south, their, their judgment came quite a bit later because they were still trying to follow the Lord. If you were here Sunday, you know, I told you some things I'd learned about the before the Maccabean revolt, how Israel had gotten uh, Hellenized, I guess would be the best way to say it, with the Romans and the culture. And they started getting away from God. I mean, when you look at America's story, it's pretty much just like Israel. And the only nation that we can, and I think this is clear to see, the only nation in the history of the world that comes close to being as blessed as Israel is the one you and I live in. We're second on the run. We've been so blessed here, but you know, we've done the same thing Israel's done. We've turned away from God. We've done our own thing. So this is a good uh, word to America. We need to pay attention to this. Idolatry came in because Israel had given over them, especially the northern tribes at this time, had given themselves over to immoral sexuality and all that stuff. So idolatry comes in on the heels of that because idolatry generally uh, is per, uh, promiscuous. It gives people the, uh, the license, quote-unquote, to live after the flesh. And the Lord tells us if we live after the flesh, we're going to die. So idolatry gives people a license to say it's okay for me to live this way. And so that's what people, when they say they want acceptance and they're trying to get it from God, they're just wanting somebody to come into agreement that how they're living or what they're doing is okay. And uh, I've said this over the years being a pastor, most people's idea of fair is when you see it their way. <laughs> then you're fair, right? That's most people's idea of being fair is when you see it their way. But we have a plumb line. What separates us from the world and false religion and quite frankly, some of the churches that are even operating under the banner of Christianity is that we have a plumb line. We have the Word of God that is the final authority. It's the final authority whether we like it or not and whether we come into agreement with it or not. There used to be a saying that went around years ago that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You can take the I believe it out of the middle of that. God said it, that settles it. Whether you and I believe it or not, it's settled. Your word, O oh Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Now, you and I benefit from believing it, but God's word is settled regardless of whether you and I come into agreement with it or not. And so uh, His word is forever settled in the heavens. I think one of the prophets said, believe his prophets uh, and you'll prosper. So God, we surely want to come into agreement with God's word. So idolatry is when people are willing to disobey God to do what they want to do or to attain what they want to attain. 
So we can have idolatry in our own hearts when we persist in something that we know is against God's will. And we can, that's idolatry. We can set up our own idolatry. So last week in Hosea chapter 1, we saw how uh, he married a harlot and how that, that she started having children. And they were named because he was going to bring judgment on the northern kingdom. And so he was using those names just like Hosea's means salvation. But here's what God was really after. Uh, he wanted them to be restored. So what he was asking them to do, and this wasn't the only time he was asking them to do this in Hosea, was return to him. I capitalized that. Return to him. That's what he was asking, saying, come back to me. And we're going to see some verses that illustrate that. In fact, let's go to Jeremiah first. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 3. I want to show you, just, I'm going to bounce around in the first few chapters here and just show you a few verses. In Jeremiah chapter 3, look at verse 22. This, this is God still trying to plead with His people, even after Hosea, uh, trying to get them to return. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22, look at what God says. And now, I want to read you these verses because I want you to realize that's basically what the whole book of Hosea is trying to do. It's trying to get God's people. Put yourself in that line. I put American Christians and maybe American prodigals like, like the prodigal. Anybody that's away from God. We're all in this same spot if we're not honoring God. If we're doing our own thing. And in verse 22 he says, uh, chapter 3 of Jeremiah, Return you backsliding children and I will heal your backslidings. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do, uh, we do come to you, for you are, are the Lord our God. So that was the call. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He, same book, Jeremiah. If you will return, O Israel, there's that word return again, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. Now, Isaiah pleaded with Israel as well. He, he, he was pleading mostly maybe with the southern part, but he was pleading with God's people. And he was saying, if you'll return and quit sinning and quit practicing things that are against God's word, he said, God will stop the judgment. I mean, he'll stop it. It'll be over. And there's a lot of verses that we even really cling to in the New Testament dispensation that Isaiah, because Isaiah had such a revelation about salvation and the Messiah that God had given him. Look at chapter 5, same book, chapter 5, verse 3. The Lord says, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? And the answer to that is yes. You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. And I look at our country and I think the same thing. I think you've disciplined this nation... State, whatever. You're, what is his design? You're going to see that in Hosea and you're going to see it in other places. He allows certain things to put pressure on the people so they'll see the error of their ways and they'll turn back to him. In fact, Israel was done like that many times. And he says, he says in verse 3, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than the rock. They have refused to return. 
Now, that's what Teshuvah's for. Teshuvah, I'm sorry, Teshuvah. Teshuvah is that 40 days that hits 30 days prior to the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah and then the Day of Atonement. And then 10 days starting with, with uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets till the Day of Atonement. Those are the 10 days of all. Those are the final moments for Israel to repent. Those are playwrights. They're things that help us to understand. And, and uh, Enoch is credited. It's not in the Scripture, but it's one of the things he was credited with. That God gave us times and seasons and set moments. Those festivals that God gave, seven of them, which means completion and perfection, that I use a lot around here, those seven festivals are, in the Hebrew, are called set times. They were there designed to teach Israel, number one, about the Messiah and the work that He would do, and number two, about our own lives. And Enoch goes on to say that God gave us these things. They attribute this to Enoch, that we would uh, estimate our own days. Uh, one of the doctors said my brother wouldn't have made it if they probably hadn't called the helicopter and the ambulance. None of us have the promise of tomorrow, right? We live out today. God's got our days numbered. So he orchestrates events in our lives. But Enoch, they attribute Enoch with this, this word that we're, God gave us seasons and changes. If you'll notice, you see death and life in the seasons, don't you? you we watch everything die in the fall, begin to die and go on into the winter. Then we watch everything come back to life. Israel had two new years. One of them's Feast of Trumpets. They believe and teach that that's when the world was created in that season. And, and then they have the Passover, right? The, where they were given a new, uh, that's a picture of salvation. You and I are born physically first, then we get the blood applied, just like the Israelites did. So that's our rebirth, right? You, you and all, all of us have two beginnings if we're believers. We were created physically, and then as we accepted Christ, we were convicted, we became a new birth. We have a new, a second birth, just like there. So the, all those things are typical. But let's look, he's calling them to return and said they refuse to return. The best thing you can do is, is to be on God's side. I mean, that's really that simple. <laughs> uh, that's, there is no other way. Every other way is broad and leads to destruction. Look at verse uh, 5 of chapter 8 in this same book. Jeremiah talks a lot about, and I just picked a few of them out here, but Isaiah, same way, and then Hosea, his whole demeanor, his whole book is about getting Israel to turn around. He says, uh, verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 8 says, Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem is a perpetual backsliding. And this is because Jeremiah's focusing a lot of his attention on the southern tribes. He says, it's a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. And it eventually cost Israel, right? They got ransacked, what, three times? When uh, Nebuchadnezzar came through and then Rome came in. And then the last one when, with being scattered and Hitler and all. I mean, they've been through a lot. But it's simply because they refuse to honor God. Now, I'm a mountain boy. And I really believe God is using this moment where I grew up to call some of those people back to Him. There's as many drugs per capita in that area as there is anywhere else. In fact, there might be more. Somebody was telling me 
that they tried to open up a business down in Clay County, and there's no knock on Clay County because Bell County, Letcher County, Perry, they're all the same way because it's all the same demeanor and the atmosphere, culture. But they could not run a business down there. They had to shut the business. This is a true story. They had to shut the business down because everybody they sent there got hooked on drugs. Everybody they sent to run the business wound up getting hooked on drugs. It's epidemic down there. And there's been a lot of court cases, and some of you probably seen it on the news, where they've had to handcuff doctors and stuff or just writing stuff for no reason. I mean, clinics and stuff. I mean, they've been, they've did exposés on the national news about the drug culture down there. And then, of course, you know, growing marijuana is a lot easier to do down there because there's so much cover. So all the dope can be grown down there a lot easier than it can be in a place like this where the fields are wide open. So it's just a lot of and trouble. It's trouble. But I really believe God's using this moment trying to get their attention and call them back to Him because at one time, that group of people had some major moves of God. A lot of revival started in those hills and hollers. And uh, people who didn't have a whole lot, they, they were kind of like we view people in Africa, not to that extreme, but they were... It was either God or nothing for a lot of them, you know. And so they had to learn to trust in God and, and depend on Him. And I mean, I know people just till like 10 years ago that went to doctors and, and dentists and traded chickens and knives just to see them. Uh, I mean, that's a kind of different culture, right? But I really believe God's taken this moment to get their attention because they've got carried away. Listen. They're just as hooked on social media down there as they are anywhere else. And all the things that media has brought to these last few generations raised children on it. And I would say we saw that kickoff with MTV. MTV changed the way children were raised. It exposed them, opened them up to things that were way out of their, should have been out of their purview. And then it's just gotten snowballed from there. So we see that God does extreme things at times. You're going to see that in Hosea to call His people back to Him. We stray. They asked, I believe it's Spurgeon that said this. They said, Spurgeon, because if you go through the book of Acts, they, they got filled the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, then they kept, Peter and them kept getting filled with the Spirit all through the whole book. They asked Spurgeon about that. They said, why do they keep getting refilled? He said, because we leak. <laughs> what did Paul say in Hebrews? Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset you. You pick up junk along the way. Attitudes, gossip, greed, lust. And then fear is a big driver. You know, a lot, of, a, lot of that, a lot of greed is driven by fear. How many times have you heard somebody say, I might not have enough? That's not who your father is. He said he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And just as an asterisk, he owns the hills too. Your God said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He said the sparrow, not one sparrow falls to the ground that he don't know about. He said, how much more value are you? Amen. We should give the Lord praise. So we don't have anything to be afraid of. We shouldn't be worrying. We shouldn't be letting fear motivate us to get outside of God's will and to do things in our own strength. So let's go back to Hosea 
chapter 2, and let's see what he's got to say to us. Uh, Hosea has been asked to marry a prostitute, a harlot. And before you, you know, God's, he gets out of our box sometimes, don't he? We got him in this neat little box and we try to put religious things on it and he kicks them off and comes out. But notice how many harlot situations God used in the lineage of his son and people. Rahab. Gomer, Bathsheba, over and over. God, you know what he's saying to us? Grace. Your past can be forgiven, washed away. All your sins, behold, old things, all things, old things are passed away and all things become new. So it don't matter. I like to say it this way. It don't matter what you think somebody else knows. What matters is what God's forgot. He cast them as far, amen, He cast them as far as the east is from the west. So we got to understand, you, we all are going to have to return at times. And it's okay, because that's how it's designed. We let things slip. That's why Paul said not to let things slip. Don't let them go by you. He's what he's talking about in Hebrews. Don't let them pass you. Sometimes we do that. We get called up. That's why how, what, Jesus wasn't talking to everybody but you and me when he said don't get caught up in the cares of this life that that day overtakes you. Well, the cares of this life are not, not necessarily, I would say most of them, if not just about all, are not sin. But it's a distraction that he's concerned with. That we get caught up in the wrong things. We get motivated by the wrong thing. And we start acting like this world's our home. And it's not. You're just passing through. I'm just passing through. And we're getting closer to the finish line every day. So we need to be encouraged that God, He's got a lot bigger plan than we do. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's got you. And I I love to tell, because the devil comes at us at different stages in life with different temptations, right? And so what happens a lot of times... Older folks that say to me, say, well, I just don't know if I'll be able to make I said, are you God's son or daughter? Did God say when you get 75, he's dropping you? He's kicking you out. You're on your own now. I brought you this far. Let's see how he can handle it on you. Now, but see, those are all temptations. And we are, you know, the young children is the fear of being accepted, right? The, the devil keeps coming at us with fear our whole life. He just advertises it in a different way. But I want him to know tonight. That my God is in charge of everything. That I know in whom I believed. And that he's got the very hairs of my head numbered. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Can you say amen? Let's look at chapter 2 if I can get in there. I'm trying to get there. (laughs) He says, say to your brethren, my people, and your sisters, mercy is shown. So God's God's trying. He keeps pleading with them. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. She's walked out on him. That's Israel walking out on God. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Now, this was this is kind of picked up in our culture over the last 40, 50 years. But Israel fell in the same way. It was started to become common for women to show their breasts in the culture. And so it was something that they got caught up in in the sexual revolution. They had a sexual revolution. If you remember, 
if you, if you go get to the heart of most of these false gods, it's all built around the flesh, and a lot of it's built around sexual immorality, even to the point of molesting children. There's nothing new under the sun. When, even in the New Testament, if you read about Corinth, Corinth would advertise young boys and girls on the tops of those pagan temples, as if to say to the passers-by, you can come in here and have your fantasy with whatever. That's what the devil always does. That's why God said, no flesh will glory in my presence. And if you live after the flesh, you will die. So God's trying to get us to live in the Spirit. Paul wants us to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be born of the Spirit. And let the Spirit have preeminence in our lives. And the best way to do that is fill yourself with God's Word on a daily basis. Flood your heart, your spirit man. Let Him be the strongest part of your triune vessel and let him exercise his power and his authority and I I say to people because I grew up in the full gospel movement but I say to people God didn't send the Holy Spirit for us to have better church services and they're like and this is what really catches people I said the first goal of the Holy Spirit is to conquer you and me that's what the Holy Spirit that's his number one job Because we're living in the flesh, and the flesh likes to do his own thing, right? He likes to do whatever he wants to do, and he has to, Paul said, I die daily. Put to death the flesh, because he, and it's not just in what we call all the major uh, things. It's in everything. If you usurp your will, or if I usurp my will over what God wants, that's sin. Doesn't matter how it manifests itself, that is sin, when I do my will instead of God's. He says, so that's, they're, they're part of that sexual revolution back then, and we've had those here in our country, and now we've really cut loose. It's to the nth degree. He says, lest I strip her naked. He said, if you want to play that game, she'll be stripped naked and expose her as in the day she was born, back to her birthday suit, and make her like a wilderness and set her in a dry land and slay her with her thirst. Now God, He don't mince words. And he's not politically correct. He said, I will not have mercy on her children. Now, if you remember from Sunday, when Jezebel was talked about in Thyatira, he said, I gave her space to repent. Same thing he's doing here with his own people. And he said, I tried to get her children to repent, right? And those who committed immorality with her, but they wouldn't. And he said, then I'm going to destroy her children. So God said, I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool. Now listen closely. Hear what the Spirit's saying right here. Let me start over. For their mother has played the harlot. She's strayed, right? She's doing her own thing. She's breaking covenant. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. So she's going for other people instead of God, right? This started with Saul. You remember Saul? They said, we want a king. And he said, who give me my bread and my water. Now see what happened there? Same thing, different situation. But remember Isaiah said? He said, how dare you cut a tree down 
and take the, the refuge of the tree after you've carved your idol out of it. Take what's left and burn it in the fire. That's the first thing he's pointing out. Say, do you understand the substance you made your idol of? You just had enough power over to destroy it. That was the first lesson. He's, if, he, if it had been back, he's like, here's your sign. Then he says, how dare you get in front of an idol and thank it for the water and the food and the blessings you have, knowing they've come from God. But why did they want idolatry? Because they wanted harlotry. They wanted to live immoral lives. They wanted to live after the flesh. So you get a God. Used to, still I read Isaiah thoroughly about 15 years ago and really sunk my teeth into it. I used to think that sexual immorality was the last straw before God judged the nation. But I learned that it's idolatry. Because when you, and you'll see that clearly in Isaiah, when, when, you, when they get into sexual immorality, you have a conscience. So your conscience is telling you, you're not supposed to live this way. You have God's Word, right? We have boundaries. God said, and so if you persist and, desi- and still desire to do it your way or my way instead of God's, then you've got to find a, you've got to trade God's. You've got to find a God that's okay with it. And there were multitudes of Baal and Ashtaroth and over and over of gods who were promoted sexual immorality and, and walking after the flesh, even smoking dope. And there are some people that believe Ahab wanted that vineyard beside of his palace because he wanted to grow dope in it. And he had the guy killed, or Jezebel had him killed. And then Jezebel's getting ready to get her punishment. Because this is what's being prophesied here. God's getting ready to take the northern kingdom down. Jezebel, her children, all of them are going to be destroyed because of how they live. And so uh, he says, uh, look what else he says. For she will go after her lovers who will give me bread and my water. So she's looking for other people to help her instead of God. And he's talking about the nation here. My wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, look what he says. I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. And look what happens. If this is... Let me just read and then I'll make this point. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. She will seek them, but not find them. That is addiction. You get so caught up in living after the flesh, you keep going back... And then it's no good. And so people have to go further and further and further and whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter what the addiction is. And then he says, She will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil. And that's where we're at. There is no such thing as a Mother Earth. Quit calling it Mother Earth. God created the earth, it's His creation. The earth can't help you without the God behind it. And everything he put in the earth was for purpose and reason. And the earth is not going to implode. It's not going to blow up because God designed it. It has a specific date with the Father. He's going to renovate it with fire, according to Peter. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth, but he's going to do it. And I like what one of the guys who came to the coal mine one time, who who worked for the government and was having to do his job, but he was a Christian, and he said... He said, I want to tell you guys something. He said, man can't destroy the earth because he don't own it. He said, God holds the deed to the earth. He's the one that owns it. So quit worrying about the earth being blown off its axis. 
God's in charge. He's got a specific plan. He's going to call it to a halt. He said, time will be no more. You remember that in Revelation. He's going to bring everything to an end. Doesn't mean there's not going to be trouble here and there, but the whole earth's not going to... I'm going on record prophesying to you right now. I don't care what the science is. The earth is not going to be destroyed by man. That is totally against the Bible. And besides, if, rock runs, if water runs over three rocks, it's clean anyhow. That's, that's part of our theology here in Kentucky, ain't it? Uh, he says, uh, I will take... He, so she forgot who it was that sustained her. That's what happens to people. They walk out on God and forget who sustains them. It's amazing to me that people get mad at God, mad at the church, mad at somebody in the church, whatever, and walk out on everything. Really? Climb over that, dude. Overcome. Because you have got way too much at stake to quit on God. I don't care if your best friend walked out on you. I don't care if your dog bit you when you got home after church every time. Keep coming. Kick him outside and keep coming. Then he said, um, I will return, sit and take away... She said, I, she didn't know I gave her grain, wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. They took his stuff. We take God's stuff and use it for Satan's ways. And that's another reason this country is going to get judged. They take pe- money from people in this country, many, some of which are Christians, and they do evil with it. Now, I don't care... And I know I'm not talking to anybody in here, but I don't care what you believe out there. I'm talking to you people that are watching wherever you're at in the world. There's not one person who is the least bit sane that thinks God's okay with abortion. There's not one person, I don't care if you're a believer or not. If God created every one of us, there's not one person, I don't care if you're religious or not. You know the one that created life, is not for killing it. And it's a funny thing to me, the only people that are for abortion have already been born. They got, we got our chance. But fooey on the other ones, right? And let me say this, I always say this, if, you've had, if anybody's had abortions, listen to me, wherever you're at, you can be forgiven. There's, that's not the, we're not talking, we're just saying, we've all done wrong. But the, the way out is to not say what we've done wrong is okay. The way out is to say, I recognize it's wrong. I ask for your forgiveness, God. I repent. I need you to wash me clean. That's the way out. And so he says, uh, I multiplied her silver and gold, and they prepared it for Baal. So God's basically said, I'm the one taking care of you. And, then you, you. and that's what Isaiah was saying. He said, God's the one that's taking care of you, and you're giving the credit to this idol. He says, therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time, my new wine in its season. I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. So God's saying, I'm getting ready to start judging you. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. And we, we've heard this, and I've heard this said, and I've probably said this to people myself in counseling. When that crowd gets done with you, they'll move on to somebody else. When you no longer have money, you no longer have the stuff they want, you'll be out there like the prodigal eating, from, eating with the pigs. And, then he, and that's what happens to, that's what he's describing here. I will also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her, moon, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. 
And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lover's given me. See how distorted we get? So I will make them a force. And I, this has helped me. Because I thought, as good as God's been to America, the way we treat Him as a group, not saying you do that, and the, the stupid things we legislate and do in this country and, and have people going to bat for, I'm thinking, are, we look like we're the smartest people on earth in some ways with our inventions and stuff over the last 200 plus years, but we may be the dumbest. And then I read about Israel, and I'm thinking, well, that's what happens, <laughs> you know. That we, you get over to the flesh, and that's how, And we are. I, I don't have the same level of expectation from a two-year-old as I do a 20-year-old. I don't have the same level of expectation of somebody who's not had the opportunity to, to know God and His will and to study His Word the way maybe someone else has. That's why America, I think, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think we're, we're going away from God as a group. Now, we've got to stand our ground as believers. He says, I will destroy her vines, her fig trees, uh, which she called was gifts from her lover. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. Uh, <clears throat> My grandmother raised a garden until probably the last couple of years before she died at 95. And she, when she would plant her garden, she would go out and rebuke the deer every year. And because she was a tither and an offering giver, you know, she lived with Malachi, wherever you were, and she said, the devourers has to stay off my property. Now, faith works if you use it. She had the best blueberries in Kentucky. And so uh, he says... Uh, I will make them a force to eat. I will punish her for the days of bells to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry, went after her lovers. <clears throat> Look at this line. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. Are you guilty of that? Maybe just in a segment of your life? Have you got God closed off in a certain portion or partition in your life? Are you living for God on most of this, but then you've got a situation in your life you're trying to handle without Him? You and I shouldn't have anything in our lives that God can't touch. And you'll be amazed at what God can do if we believe and wait on Him. I'm a believer in fasting. It works. It breaks the yoke. It makes us... It really helps in so many ways spiritually. But my wife and I, when we fast together because we're one, we always get movement. Every time. We, over the years with our children, we had issues. And I'm telling you, God would move every time. Issues that could have went the wrong way. But when we agreed to fast together and wait on God and believe in Him, trust Him, our children... God just did things, miraculous things. A couple of things that I was tempted to handle in the flesh. And, uh, I mean, I already heard Hank Williams playing in the back of my mind and everything. I'm not going to tell you the details of this, but one of them, if I'd handled in the flesh, I'd have been on the front page of the newspaper. 
I mean, it wouldn't have been nothing illegal, but I'd have been on the, I would have been on the front page of the newspaper if I had handled it in the flesh. I wouldn't have went to jail. It wasn't nothing like that. But because of the culture and taking a stand in a spot where I really wanted to take a stand and how I wanted to do it in the flesh at first, right? It would have caused chaos. So my wife and I agreed to fast. And after three days, the Lord showed up. Handled it. I mean, He handled it. He one. See, here's what we think because we're so culturized. There has to be five steps to everything. And I'm not saying five steps don't work. I'm just saying there's something beyond that. That's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Bam! Your life's different. I don't, I don't see him. Is Brian here? Do I see Brian? <clears throat> They're going to share their testimony, Brian and Kim, but Brian's testimony is just like that. He couldn't whip something for years, and God just, bam, showed up one night. So you do your part, walk it out, but be ready for God to show up. And when He shows up, what the Holy Spirit can do in a minute, we may never get done in a lifetime. He is God. The Holy Spirit's as much God as the Father. He has all power. He's all in agreement with the Word, and the Word will never pass away. It'll stand forever. You got the greatest resource of power in the universe inside of you. The same Spirit, I've been saying this for years. This, the, I'm quoting the Bible here, but I, what I'm going to say, I've been saying for you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. If the church ever gets a hold of that, the devil's in trouble. And so, he says, and, uh, but she forgot me. Now, I'm going to stop there. We'll come back to that part of Hosea next week because it gets good. This book's good and America needs to hear it. And part of them are, whoever's catch our broadcast and our YouTube channel and our podcast that we have. We've got a lot of, close to 50 countries. And uh, is it still 46 states? 48? So two of them got sanctified. We've been waiting on them. <laughs> got two more states that need to get sanctified. Who are you out there? <laughs> uh, so I want you to turn, let me, let me turn you to Isaiah 19, then I'm going to close. I got excited there. Now, uh, Isaiah 19, kind of similar type language here. Uh, there's some good stuff in here. I'll try not to get carried away. In verse 19, God's talking to them about Egypt. And, and, and I want to show you something, some prophetic stuff in here. It says, The burden against Egypt, behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud. Boy, I like that. He didn't call Uber, he just jumped on a cloud. He didn't get on a plane, he jumped on a cloud. And will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence. Woo, in your presence, Lord, the mountains melt like wax. That's what the psalmist said. And the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. I will set the Egyptians, I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. That ethnos is the word. The word kingdom there is a bad choice of words in English. The Greek word's ethnos. It means ethnic group against ethnic group. And we see that all over the world, even in our own country. Spirit of Egypt will fail in the midst. I will destroy the council. And, I'll, and they will consult the idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. And that's what a lot of people in this country are doing. They went way spacey. I made up a new word. They're spacey. Uh, Sci-fi, whatever. 
there's an overwhelming, uh, uh, you know, we know there's demons and angels and they have no clue. Everything's sci-fi to them. Uh, Egyptians, I will give into the hand of a cruel master and the fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. The waters will fail from the sea and the river will be wasted and dried up. The rivers will turn foul. The brooks of defense will be emptied and dried up. The reeds and rushes will wither. The papyrus reeds by the river, by the mouth of the river. And, and everything sown by the river will wither, be driven away, and be no more. The fishermen will also mourn, and those will lament who cast hooks into the river. And they will languish who spread nets on the waters. No fish. Moreover, those who work in the fine flax and those who weave fabric will be ashamed. Its foundation will be broken. Who make wages will be troubled. So surely the prince of Zoan are fools. Pharaoh's wise counselors give foolish counsel. My mother said to me not long ago, she said, It's amazing the further we get away from God as a nation, how many poor decisions we make as a nation. We just keep making one bad decision after another. If you, if you want to know how to tick God off, read the Bible. Evidently, we're not doing that. Because every time there's a disaster, a lot of times our politicians get up and misquote verses, misinterpret them, don't even know. They just try to use a piece of the Bible. And I just want to say, get in your lane, dude. Keep running. How do you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise and the son of the ancient kings? Where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now. And I think America's starting to have to say this, right? Where are the wise people? You know, where are the people in, in, in that are wise? And we have a few of them. But they're getting harder to find. Let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The prince of Zoan have become fools. The prince of Zoph of Noph are deceived. They have also deluded Egypt. Those who are in the mainstay, mainstay of the tribes. The Lord has mingled perverse spirit in their midst. And they have caused Egypt to err in all her work. That's what's happening to us. You know what he said? <clears throat> he said, uh, I'm going to send a lying spirit to all those prophets. Why would he do that? Because they'd already turned against him anyway. They were already worshiping false gods. That's what happened to Israel. If you remember from Sunday, they, were, they turned the temple into a gymnasium. And that's why the scribes and the Pharisees came to be. Just a lot, lot, lot of stuff to learn. As a drunken man staggers in his vomit, neither will there be any work for the Egypt which, their head or t- uh, which the head or tail, palm branch or bulrush may do. I mean, he's wiping them out. In that day, Egypt will be like uh, women that were afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts which he waves over. And the land of Judah will be a terror to Egypt. And everyone who makes mention of it will be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of the host which is determined against it. I'm going to say a word. God will forgive anybody. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your nationality is. But you have to accept his son. You have to repent of your sin. Come to his son. And you will be on the winning side. God's going to win this thing. There's no question of the outcome of where this is coming to. God's in charge. It's going to come to an expected end just like he said it would. We have confidence beyond, we have elpizo, like the Greek word, we have hope without a question mark. Why? Because our hope is steadfast and the ancient of days is what I love that title for him in the New Testament. The ancient of days, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the first and last it was and is and is to come. That's who we know. You know his word will always come to pass. He said, they will be afraid of him because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which is determined against it. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. You hear what he just said? He said, Egypt is going to return and believe in God. That don't look possible right now, does it? But it's going to happen. And he says, 
And Canaan swear to the Lord of hosts, one will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. And when you see that word, in that, that phrase, in that day, he's talking about the end of time. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And I'm not going to get into this, but I believe that's the, the Great Pyramid. And I'll talk about that in another setting. And it will be for a sign, for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because they're oppressors and He will send them a Savior. We're talking about Egypt. We're not talking about, we're talking about the, the world. God still wants to save the whole world. It's not His will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance or basically would return to the Lord, the author and the finisher of their life. And he says, for they, they will cry to the Lord because of their oppression. He will send them a Savior and a mighty one. That's capitalized. You know who that is. And he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. I'm telling you, God ain't through saving people. He's going to save until we're raptured. And the Bible says he's going to save right in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. He's going to keep saving until this thing's over. We, I got good news. I don't care how troubled your path may get sometimes, you're going to win if you follow Jesus Christ. And we've got more work to do. We need more people to come into the kingdom of God and to know what we know. Can you say amen? So then he says, uh, oh man, I could go on all night. Let's stop that. You know I want to send out for pizza and just stay? <laughs>